here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105 FM in Mukopane. Hashtag SAFM Headspace. As of last week, approximately a hundred, one thousand actually, one thousand three hundred, one thousand three hundred South African National Defence Forces uh, soldiers were deployed to support the South African Police Services, that's the SAPS, as part of the Operation Prosper in an attempt to restore law and order and reduce the number of incidents of violent crime in various hot spots throughout Cape Town. If you remember quite well, there was a big brouhaha about when are they coming because they were deployed two weeks back already as far as the Minister of Police is concerned. And then we did not see them coming down and did not see any boots on the ground for quite some time. Now we see some boots on the ground. What do we make of that? Are they doing what we thought they're going to do? Are they serving the purpose we thought they're going to serve as a people? Dr. Guy Lamb, Director of the Safety and Violence Initiative at the University of Cape Town, talks us through this particular this particular conversation. Dr. Lamb, good evening to you and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening. It's my pleasure. So, um, your observations, uh, uh, prima facie, do you find that the police and the military are going to serve the purpose for which they are, well, designed? Well, I mean, the situation here is what we've seen recently on the Cape Flats and the deployment under Operation Prosper of these 1,300 soldiers to support the police certainly is nothing new. I mean, this has been happening in South Africa for decades. Um, obviously, it happened under apartheid, but certainly with... You know, new constitution, new police act, new defense act, things changed. And so, you know, typically the military are not deployed internally unless they're natural disasters. But the the defense act does allow for the military to be deployed in conjunction with the police under, obviously, overall police command, but for the military to support the police in the operations. And these things typically happen when... You know, kind of things have got under out, out of control when crime has elevated quite significantly in certain areas, and the police really on coping. Um, and sort of the sense of something urgently needs to be done, and the police need backup and support, particularly in the more dangerous areas. Um, so that that's essentially what's been happening here. And as I said, it has it's happened many times before. Um, I mean, the one thing that's kind of quite slightly different here was the whole build-up to the military being deployed to so lots of public announcements about them and then their de- delayed delayed deployment. And certainly that, that's kind of a, a precedent that certainly hasn't happened before. Typically one hears about the military being deployed when they're deployed. Um, but obviously the delay does require, you know, for the president to agree to it. They need, there's all these sort of formal processes that have to happen to deploy the military in a kind of crime-fighting, crime-support point of view. So that's the kind of background to this. Um, and I suppose you're kind of interested in what does this do to crime and stability. Yes, that's exactly what, I, what I'm interested in. Well, we, we, we know that the police are the ones who have the competence to deal with yes. crime, but now yes. we're putting military boots on the ground. Yes. What exactly is that going to serve? Because we know for a fact that they're not trained to deal with crime. Yeah, well, the military, I mean, when they're deployed in these kind of operations, their main role is not to go and arrest people. Um, they have quite 
limited roles, specifically to provide muscle, <laughs> additional people going in, but also they will do the sort of perimeter protection. So often what happens when in these sort of operations, and I mean, I mean, what's happening in the Cape Flats are going to particularly dangerous areas, but to use a, another example would be, for example, if they're going to raid a particularly uh, crime-ridden hostel. And then you'd see the military that would be protecting the sort of the, the kind of perimeter and then the police would go in to effect arrest. Sometimes they would be accompanied by soldiers when you need additional kind of, uh, kind of armed support to go in because you're going into dangerous areas where individuals may be armed and may fire on you. Um, so it is very much around a show of force and it's about, you know, showing that the state is here and the state is here to try and enforce the law. Um, so, you know, the military aren't there to arrest people, but they're certainly there as part of these joint operations to, to provide additional people going in. And, I mean, the kind of key thing which really makes a big difference in these operations is if, because we know the drive, you know, one of the main facilitators and drivers of, of, of murder and other types of, of violent crime in South Africa are firearms, particularly illegal firearms. So um, what makes a difference in these operations in terms of, you know, short-term effects of, 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 of these operations is if they're able to seize large numbers of firearms. So we've seen that hundreds of thousands of firearms um, from these high-crime areas, and you actually saw quite a drop-off in, in murder in these particular areas because there were less firearms around. But of course... Um, one of the, the kind of important thing about these particular operations is that the, the, those who own the firearms need to be surprised. They can't be aware that the police and military are coming for them and coming to get their firearms. I think that's been quite a strategic blunder of, of the, the, the recent intervention on the Cape Flats because of all these announcements that the military is coming and the military is coming into these specific areas that the, the, those who are in possession of guns probably would have hidden those guns and moved into other areas. And I think that's kind of a key issue that's at play here. But the kind of bottom line is if the military and the police and these joint operations are able to seize as many illegal firearms as possible, then you can actually see some some positive benefits for the communities. It doesn't solve the problems. It doesn't solve crime. But what it actually does is remove firearms from those or large numbers of firearms from those communities who actually are destabilizing them. All right. Uh, I was wondering what happened there. All right. Uh, so when 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 we look at the the military as 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 we speak, we are talking about men and women who have been uh, given now fellow South Africans to point guns at. Do you find that South Africans are taking lightly or kindly to the military going there? And I'm saying this because we saw mixed reaction with some of the people in uh, the Western Cape saying they desperately need the military to come and, and inflict law and order. I'm using that word deliberately there. And some saying, actually, we don't need the military here because we're going to end up being their targets. Uh, do you find that the response has been positive? I mean, it's very difficult to tell at the moment. They're going to be kind of mixed, mixed feelings depending on, on particular communities. Because you're seeing, and certainly in the high crime areas, there's been a lot of concern and kind of dissatisfaction expressed with the level of policing. People are feeling very unsafe. They're feeling that they can't really turn to the police to provide them with safety. They feel this, you know, in some of these areas, this, this, this kind of quality of service is not up to scratch, and hence they are looking, 
for the state to come and protect them. You know, in terms of the Bill of Rights, there's an expectation. Um, and so the sense of Iran, that's why in many cases the military is welcome. The sense of Iran, at least someone is coming here to, to kind of look out for us because in, these, in, in many of these high crime areas, you know, your life is at risk, you know, any hour of the day. There's a possibility of getting, the possibility of getting shot or attacked um, is quite high. So that's sort of, these are very traumatized communities. But also, so there's that kind of sense of some elements may welcome the military and increase policing presence because they may feel safer. But then there's others um, that have had a particularly negative experience with the military and negative experience, particularly with the police over the years, and just see, you know, additional security force members coming into their communities as, you know, that there's going to be a possibility that they're going to be assaulted, they're going to be abused. Um, so that's that's the kind of kind of combination of feelings that's happening in the sense of like we really want to be, feel safer and you know we'll feel safer if there's better policing and more visible policing hence we, we appreciate the deployment that, that comes as a double-edged sword here that comes with because there's going to be search and seizures because there's going to be roadblocks because doors are going to be broken down searching for wanted criminals searching for firearms and drugs and, and other contraband that people you know maybe you know kind of you know, manhandled, maybe injured in the process. So have we seen any of uh, their results, the desired results? I mean, it's very early to tell. I mean, they've been announcing that they've, they've made some arrests. Of course, in, in many of these operations, they do have a priority of arresting, you know, most wanted criminals in particular areas. And, you know, to apprehend those particular people, sometimes you need force of numbers to do that. Um, but the the kind of the key issue here is whether they're going to secure convictions because certainly in the high crime areas, particularly in the areas with heightened gang violence, that the police have not been particularly successful in securing convictions because, you know, if you're not going to get a confession out of the, the individual, if you haven't got sufficient evidence, you're not going to be able to convict them and hence they're not going to do prison time. So that is... As I say, it's very uh, it's very difficult to tell at the moment. We have to really see how many firearms they're able to seize, able to see if they've got wanted, you know, wanted persons they're able to arrest, whether they've got sufficient evidence to secure convictions. I think those are going to be the key issues, because the bottom line here is this: these operations are just supposed to be stabilisation operations. They're supposed to really just be about things have got out of control and a number of areas such as Philippi East, Hanover Park, and many others. And that the you know there's about trying to you know bring around kind of stabilize these areas from in terms of crime rates, and then something else needs to happen. <laughs> but we're at the stage where you know there hasn't been a discussion about well long term what needs to happen here. You know the sort of uh, premier of the Western Cape has sort of put some ideas out in his budget speech, but he only has limited resources. That's more around what has national government got to say about this, and we haven't really heard much about that. All right, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can do so. You're listening to the Headspace. We're talking about what's happening now in the Western Cape and uh, what we're hoping is going to be the result of a joint operation between the police and the military. South African police and the South African military sounds odd even talking about it. Uh, but here we are now. We are facing the situation and I'm looking forward to any results, any results positive uh, any results so you're citing uh, in your article with news 24 that it, this is not the first time it happened uh, where the, the military and the police was there any fruitful or were there any fruitful results in those other operations the joint operations between the military and the police 
Well, it's, it's around in, in the kind of ready if we started looking for them in the 1990s. We had something called Sword and Shield, and then we had a really big operation in the early 2000s called Operation Crackdown. And what data we have available shows that, you know, like if, you, if you look at crime rates from the late 1990s, you know, onwards to like 2005, 2006, it seems that Crackdown may have had kind of quite an important impact on crime rates. Because and that they were very successful, they seized a large number of illegal weapons throughout the country, and there were very high levels of arrest. But of course, that you know, kind of a very kind of short-term stabilisation measures. You don't want you know, it led to overcrowding of prisons, it led to a whole lot of series of problems. It led to you know, individuals being incarcerated for short periods of time, and those individuals being traumatised as a result of that. So these are kind of. They're, they're kind of, as I said previously, double-edged sword, these kind of interventions were like that. But if you just purely look at murder rates you know, from the sort of early 2000s onwards, they came down fairly significantly. So these sort of operations were making a difference. But probably one of the most important ones, which didn't involve such a significant um, presence of the military, but the military were involved with something called Operation Zetunia. Zetunia, they launched in 2004, and this was very much around trying to get as many legal firearms confiscated as possible. And they were very successful in doing that. And you can really see sort of major decreases in, in crime rates happening after that. So I think that's the, if we, if the lesson from that particular period going forward, and it's certainly been a problem in Cape Town, is that there's been a major proliferation of firearms in Cape Town since 2010. All right. And if we really want to be able to bring the murder rate down, we have to get those firearms out of circulation. We're going to talk about those firearms with the WhatsApp text that has been sent to us, but we're going to take a break first and then come back and uh, read the text. You can respond to that when we come back. Stand by. At SAFM Radio and at Nayelu Pondwana on Twitter. Welcome back and thank you very much for sticking around. You're still listening to The Headspace. We're in conversation with Dr. Guy Lamb, who speaks to us, giving us some perspective on what we see happening now in Cape Town to see if there's anything we can glean from what is happening now. Let's read some text messages sent to us on WhatsApp. The lines are open, by the way. If you'd like to call in, you can do so. Send a text. That's also welcome. This is a WhatsApp text sent uh, by Benny in Kail Strafir. Uh, many rights now the killings of people have decreased but the illegal firearms have not been recovered that means it will continue after the military leaves benny in gales fear uh, do you know any of, of what is said by benny there uh, can you testify at least uh, to uh, the decrease in the number of people who have been killed in the cape flats ever since the boots landed well, I mean, that's, that in terms of that data, it's not. It's very, it's very difficult to tell. I mean, over a short space of time, you can probably make those calculations that may have happened. One needs to look at it a much longer period of time. I mean, the point that's being made here is about the illegal firearms. Is that you know the police were very successful in conjunction with the military in seizing large amounts of firearms, so there were less in circulation. And then what happened in about you know, around about from about 2008, 2009. Um, a whole lot of, you know, more than 2,000 firearms were sold by a corrupt policeman in Ferenikin directly to gangs in the Western Cape. And those firearms have been used to kind of really kind of escalate the, the, the gang war between various gangs. And those weapons, very few of those weapons have been recovered. 
that they've kind of been key to the escalation of violence in, in, in Cape Town area and the Cape Flats over the past seven to eight years. And so the kind of point that's made in that particular WhatsApp message is those guns are still unaccounted for, certainly haven't been recovered, and the, those who are in possession of them have been very good at hiding them. So it's a kind of key issue around when you announce these big operations that you're going into specific areas, those people who are holding onto those guns to make a plan to hide them very carefully, and they've been very been very good at doing that. So that's why the, the authorities have been struggling to recover them over the past sort of five or six years. So what, what, you're saying you do not know whether there have been any decreased numbers of killings? I mean, if you could probably, I actually, in terms of I haven't seen that particular data, it's way too too early to tell if there's made any difference. I mean, it, you, the arguments could be made, well, over this particular weekend of, you know, of the middle of July 2019 compared to the same period in, in 2018, a, a comparison could be made, but you're not going to be able to get much out of that. We really need to be looking over you know, a much longer period to see if there's any significant difference. Um, so one would actually have to wait for the kind of crime stats to come out and in September, October, when they when they formally released and look at specific station areas to see if any difference has been made. But certainly it's way too early to tell to see if any difference has been made. Okay. It would appear as though, um, as far as the Daily Voice is concerned, some high-ranking members from several gangs on the Cape Flats uh, feel the military does nothing. They say they're not afraid of the military. They'll continue with their operations as usual. Quite frankly, the military will help stop uh, innocent deaths, but they will continue with what they're doing. I kind of lost you there for about three seconds. I'm saying, uh, as far as the Daily Voice is concerned, uh, they spoke to some high-ranking members of the these several gangs in the Cape Flats, and they're saying, and when I say they, I'm referring to the gang leaders, they're saying the military is not going to stop them. They're not afraid of the military. They'll continue with their operations. I mean, look, the point here is, you know, gangs are particularly powerful in Cape Town, and they run a, a range of operations from some being you know, kind of, you know, wholeheartedly illegal to a number of, you know, kind of above-board operations. So it's a very sophisticated operations that they run. Um, when, you know, the military come in with the police, they're going to be able to disrupt some of the, the gang activities, but certainly, you know, particularly at the lower level, maybe around kind of um, street-level drug trading, but certainly the kind of more sophisticated stuff, they're not going to be able to make a huge impact on that. Um, what that potentially can do is, due to their presence and due to their operations, is reduce some of the violence around it, but certainly the criminal activities that the gangs are involved in, unless uh, you know these operations lead to the arrests of certain key leaders who are then sort of taken out of circulation, that might have an impact, but even in prison, gang leaders are still very effective in running you know, various operations, so the kind of comments and points made are, are well taken. It's these particular operations that the military and police are involved in are more around stabilization. If you're going to go after gangs, it's going to require a different type of operation that needs to be a lot more intelligence driven. You need to have informers, you need to be able to infiltrate gangs. And this is, you know, takes a lot more work and a lot more time if you're going to have an impact on, on the kind of gang economy. 
All right, there's another WhatsApp uh, text that reads, Saps in the Western Cape are useless. The army is the worst. They're standing looking at women today. They shot a guy in Duffelsech, uh, Mitchell's plane, while the army was there sitting in their truck. The gangsters said they're not afraid of the army. They are friends. Dr. Lamb? Yeah, <laughs> that's a difficult text to respond to. I mean, certainly um, there's the kind of those are first-hand accounts of what's happening there, frustration, um, it, the sense of around, and, you know, if, if, the, if the kind of police and the military aren't responding, witness this particular issue and aren't responding, they're certainly not doing their job. Yeah. Another one reads, I respect the provincial government's work and determination on certain aspects of service delivery. However, when it comes to crime, drugs, safety in general, it has failed dismally. Our Stellenbosch town is becoming a safe haven for drug dealers and dangerous criminals. Observation is that most of these criminals come from the Cape Town area. Is it perhaps a national government or the provincial government's failure to combat these social ills? Thanks. Now, ask Keith and Stellenbosch. I mean, in response to that, it's sort of it's a, it's a multi-pronged approach on these sort of issues. I think certainly South Africa nationally and, and provincially and also at the kind of municipal level, the government level has really struggled to kind of deal with the kind of drug, the drug issue um, around, you know, kind of the, the typical approach has been to view it as a war on drugs. And of course, that puts the police at the front line of dealing with this particular issue. Um, but also it's around not much has been invest in, invested in kind of taking a kind of public health approach to this viewing, you know, users of drugs as, you know, not necessarily as criminal, but people who need help. Um, and, you know, South Africa, we have something known as the drug master plan, but not a lot has been done with that. And that's supposed to have been about pushing you know, alternative agendas around, you know, how to deal with the drug problem because we know taking a law enforcement approach to it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't tackle the, the kind of the reason why people take drugs in the first place. All right. I'm uh, going to play one, yeah. one, one last WhatsApp uh, voice note and see if we can respond to it. Go ahead, Phineas. Uh, hello, my name is Lutonolo from Atrasville. I think the situation in Kipton deploying the soldiers in one week i think maybe they they should deploy the cia because the situation is bad we need like undercover information okay that's a comment we'll leave it there our time is up thank you very much dr lamb we really appreciate your time it's my pleasure dr guy lamb speaks to us giving us some perspective from the university of cape town and that brings us now to the final bulletin for today with stephen kirk it's 11 o'clock stephen